Here we go, episode three of the Press Pass podcast. I'm Joey LaFranca, back with Ben Rowe. Hello. And Joe LaTemplio. Good afternoon. And we also have Ben Watson today, Ben number two of the Press Republican. Ben, how are you? Number two? Oh, I guess that's okay. I'm good. How are you? I'm not, not too bad, not too bad. Um, before we get going on today's episode, Ben just wanted to give you a chance to kind of introduce yourself to the people. So go ahead and introduce yourself. Um, well, uh, I'm technically the crime beat reporter here, but among about a million other things, um, I do a bunch of sports help with you, yep. I paginate on some days to help out Ben Rowe, uh, just sort of whatever's needed. I think, I mean, guys, what do you think? I, I, I think Ben Watson has just about as much experience in every single facet of the Press Republican as anybody here. Uh, he is a jack of all trades. Yeah, so kind. utility player. Play the infield, outfield, even pitch and catch. Yes, yeah. that's, that's a little inside baseball right there, John. <laughs> I I think so. Um, so I I wanted to just give Ben the chance to say hi, but Ben, Row. <laughs> yes. <laughs> We're gonna struggle with this the whole episode. Watson um, and Row. But yes. Ben Row. Um, this is this is kind of your episode. This, this is, is this is kind of your I've episode, been, so I'm going to kick it to you right now. I've been looking forward to this episode since way back on episode one. <laughs> yes, like two weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> one quick technical note for our listeners. We are still learning various sounds that get picked up. I'll just make a note, a picture. Ben Watson reached for a pen, and I saw he was tempted to click it, as Joe has done nervously a couple times, and I quickly reached over and gave him a silent, don't you dare click that pen. It over here. <laughs> just twirling it? And also okay. we've learned that putting your elbow and shoulder on the table rather loudly also gets picked up. So if anybody hears that out there, we're still learning, folks. Yes, that's right, that's right. But Ben, go ahead. But, I mean, we're, we are going back in time today. We are. So for anyone who doesn't know, every week in the Tuesday edition, you can read the look back section. And as I have basically become hypnotized to write, it looks back at local news from 25, 50, 75, and 100 years ago using the New York State Historic Newspapers Archive website. And so I basically go through, read the papers from 1995, 1970, 19, whatever the year is, and pick out what the big news of the day was. And it's often pretty shocking for someone who was born in 1990. <laughs> so what I basically want to do today was, I actually, as a side note, I listened to this other podcast called 302010, where they talk about the pop culture news from 30 years ago, 20 years ago, and 10 years ago. So that's kind of my inspiration for this, is to toss out these little snippets of the past and see what our gathered crew here remembers from them. Now, the fun thing is the fact that we have a person of the boomer generation here, our <laughs> editor-in-chief, Joe LaTemplio, a proud boomer, who probably remembers these a bit better than, well, Joe, you were born in 1997? 95. 95. He was born 25 years ago. That's right. That's right. Ben Watson was born in 1997. Yes. Yes. So he wasn't even born when these things were happening. So it should be interesting to see what the memories persist for these but so i will throw out a couple to begin with the one that i want to start with was back in 1995 there was a story that talked about how most area restaurants and pubs feel president clinton's proposal to ban cigarette machines 
in public places who will do little harm to their business. Angela Fleming, bartender and supervisor at Carver's Restaurant, says she personally thinks it's a great idea to ban cigarette machines. Valley Vending has only about 20 or 30 machines around the area. Now again, speaking as a 29-year-old, the idea of cigarette machines yeah. stands out to me. That's crazy. Those actually <laughs> existed. Like what? <laughs> to think that Valley Vending, the humble place that brings us our sodas and candies, brought cigarettes, well... I guess I would ask to Joe, where would you find these cigarette machines back in the day? Well, first of all, in regards to my nervously clicking the pen, <laughs> I don't get nervous. <laughs> so scratch that. Um, cigarette machines, of course I remember them. Uh, they were in mostly bars and restaurants. Um, other public places of gathering, I think there used to be one in the lobby of the post office. Oh, wow. Where there were these big clunky machines, not quite as big as, as what we have today with the soda vending machines. And they had the cigarettes in like in, encased where you could see which ones you wanted. And you had to pull a lever and would release the pack of cigarettes and they would drop down along with a pack of matches, I think. Hmm. And anybody could walk up to them and put in, it, back then it was probably a buck. Maybe a buck fifty for a pack. Okay. And you could put your quarters in and buy your smokes. Um, bars used to have them, but then they started to get rid of them, and bars would sell cigarettes over the counter instead. Mm-hmm. Um, probably not a good idea to have a vending machine selling cigarettes in anywhere in the public where a 15-year-old could go. Um, but, yeah, they were all around... And I remember um, when I was a kid, my one of my friend's father was a city of Rochester firefighter. And he, a lot of firefighters, because they work 24-hour shifts, they have second jobs. And one of his jobs was loading vending machines. And he had a bunch of old cigarette machines in his garage and tons and tons of cigarettes, packs <laughs> of cigarettes. Wow. And I remember... Um, uh, thinking, man, if we took those and went out and sold them, we'd be rich. <laughs> yeah. Of course, of, course we, of course we didn't. Uh, but, um, yeah, uh, strange times. But And then here in 1995, there is apparently, well, the surprising, um, and I'll start to note who um, wrote these in the future, but um, is, um, I don't think Joe wrote this article, but is that it seems the article in general, there was a pretty good preference. So people are like, yeah, you know, it's not that bad of an idea to get rid of them. So I find that pretty interesting. Well, at the time, we were heading towards the direction of getting away from smoking. And believe it or not, when I first started working here, people were allowed to smoke at their workstations in the building. <laughs> and I sat in front of a co-worker who smoked <laughs> and to the side of me was the editor-in-chief at the time who smoked okay so i was surrounded by yeah. this purple cloud <laughs> every day and then gradually they then they put said no more smoking inside you have to go to a smoking station which was in the hallway <laughs> an inside smoking station yes. <laughs> and, and then eventually went outside um and you know, it's gone from there. But that was right around the time we started to see these changes to uh, eliminate smoking as much as possible. 
Very interesting. Well, like I said, that is quite a quite a mind blow for me. And then the other one, real quick, is a high technology band strapped around your ankle is the newest device used by the Clinton County Department of Probation. I thought ankle monitors were way older than twenty five years. I'm not sure about Joey and Ben, but I mean, not something I've ever put thought to. Uh, yeah, I really, <laughs> I really never, I really never have even thought about it. When to I be thought honest. about it, is that I thought. Wow, I thought those were like back in the 70s or something, but they're apparently a 90s technology. Just do I remember the introduction of ankle monitors that much? I vaguely do. Um, Like you said, I would have thought they were older as well um, because it doesn't seem like that sophisticated a a project. Um, Yeah. Put something on somebody's ankle. Um, But... uh, I don't think I wrote that story. <laughs> <laughs> well, like I said, that for me, that is, um, that was also a one that, wow, you know, that was just back in the 90s. But one that I do know that Joe remembers and that he wrote was, it was also 25 years ago that the great Jerry Garcia passed away of the Grateful Dead. And so for most local deadheads, Lisa Williams, 26, of Plattsburgh, Chad Baker, 18, of Plattsburgh, it was a, a sad day. Does Joe remember the passing of Jerry Garcia? Oh, I certainly do. Um, I remember it was a really hot day. And we were in the newsroom, and I um, don't know if we had a TV. We did have a TV, but it wasn't on all the time. And we remember that the local, or the, well, back then, we only had the regular stations. Um, there was cable, but the main, the ABC, NBC, CBS, the, the big ones. They actually, I think, pretty sure they interrupted programming to announce Jerry Garcia had died, which that's a big deal. You don't do that. Yeah, um, absolutely. For everybody. And everybody was like, oh, no, the deadheads, what are they going to do? <laughs> so myself and I think it was Mitch Rosenquist, another reporter here, we kind of volunteered. Yeah, we'll do that story because it was pretty cool. I mean, not that he died, but... Yeah, the, sto- the story angle of it is interesting. Popular culture, it, it was a big deal. Absolutely. So I remember um, we went around town asking people, and the Plattsburgh State summer soccer camp was going on. Okay. And there was tons of kids there and young-aged counselors yep. working there. So I thought, perfect. And so we grabbed a bunch of counselors in their 20s, <laughs> deadheads, yep. interviewed them. They were shocked. Wow. Shocked and really, really saddened. I mean, they were upset. Yeah. Jerry Garcia, their hero, their icon, right. had died. I mean, he had been in rough shape. Yeah. So they weren't totally surprised. Sure. But the the man himself of the Grateful Dead was gone. And almost immediately, I remember, people started turning towards, well, fish is next. Yeah, Fish will take over as yeah. the next band. And, of course, the next summer, in 96, was when Plattsburgh hosted the Fish concert, the Clifford Ball, at the Plattsburgh Air Force Base that drew about 100,000 people and was a really big deal. So, yeah, I remember that, clearly. That's crazy to still, you know, I know we were talking about the Jerry Garcia story, but the the Fish concert, 
I, I'm just trying to picture that. I'm trying That's, to imagine a 100,000 person concert in Plattsburgh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, well, I, can, can you only imagine the surrounding towns even when people are coming in thought, and whatnot yeah. and how much travel there was, extra, like extra travel and whatnot? It must have been insane. The only place big enough, obviously, that you can have it is a former Strategic Air Command <laughs> Air Force yes. base yes. with an 11,000 something foot runway. Right. Runway's and massive. Uh, just as big a ramp. And you have plenty of room out there. I mean, the concert site actually kind of looks small. Yeah. In, in that area, so big. But it was a big deal. Lots of planning went into it. Um, there was even attempts to not have it because yep. people redeveloping the base said, "We're trying to get serious business in here. We can't have a concert." <laughs> yeah. Doing that. It's a um, serious business, not a fish concert. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but Maybe. it went. It went ahead, and the organizers. I have to give them credit. They did a good job. They set everything up. Um, yeah, traffic was backed up the north way. I can only imagine. Forever, <laughs> and the um, any local convenience store within earshot of the place. I mean, they they sold completely out of beer, snacks, ice. I mean, ice was a hot commodity. $20 for a bag of ice back then. Um, So, yeah, the area was, um, it was quite interesting for sure. That's going to be a 25-year anniversary next year. Yes. So that that will be in looking back next year. It will. (laughs) There you go. And one thing that stood out to me, and maybe Joey and Ben Watson, you can talk about this a little bit, is that it strikes me that Joe and Mitch, back in 1995, went out to the kids and told them, Hey, did you hear that Jerry Garcia died? Yeah. Flash forward 25 years later, you know what would happen. We'd be sitting in the office. Our phones would light up. Yeah. yeah. Jerry Garcia has passed away. But you're like, oh, wow. Back then, kids, until you went and told them, sure if they're, I guess, listening to the radio or something like that, they wouldn't know. Yeah. I think the shock, like the shock and awe value of everything is certainly taken away. I, I, I mean, I don't want to, you know, these are two different things, but I guess the one thing that is still kind of recent would be when we found out Kobe Bryant died in a plane crash. Um, I can only imagine, you know, we saw that on our phones and and things of that and social media, but can you imagine a reporter coming up to you on the street, basically, because that's it sounds like what Mm -hmm. you did, and just saying, hey, Kobe Bryant died. No. And it would would be so, that would be so weird. (laughs) That would be so weird. And I guess my question to, I'll throw it to Ben Watson, is that do you, I think everyone of any generation has, well, maybe of celebrity generations, has a, I remember when I heard that so-and-so died, like a celebrity. Do you have any particular, like... I mean, <laughs> not to just leapfrog off Joey's, but that Kobe, the Kobe one most recently is the one that sticks out in my mind. I'm trying to cast my my thoughts further back. When did Michael Jackson die? Michael Jackson died on my big. graduation day in 2009, right? 2009, yes. Yeah. Oh, wow. Is that my mom that morning was like, wow, Michael Jackson died. And I'm like, okay. And she's like, no, you don't get it. Yeah. <laughs> Michael Jackson is huge. Yeah. I'm like, all right, well, it was a 90s kid. He wasn't that big for me, but sure, I appreciate that. And then about a week after that, I was having a graduation party at a friend's house. We were all out in the yard, all having sandwiches and stuff and that kind of thing. And somebody ran out of the house and said, you guys, Billy Mays died. And we're like, no, not Billy Mays. And for those, Joe didn't immediately remember him. Well, no, I said on Bob Ross at first, but Billy Mays, for those who remember, he is the um, 
Oxy Queen guy who was like Billy. Oh Mary's yeah, hair. I didn't even know who you were talking about until you <laughs> yes. said Oxy. The infomercial. Guy. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> so that was that was more shocking to me personally than Michael Jackson's death was losing Billy Mays that same summer. Yeah. And no, I can't really say I can think of any moment where I just remember a death, but that might also speak to the fact that I've been living on the internet for since I was like six. So whenever I <laughs> see something happen it's just like i'm always seeing news come in so you have your finger on the pole well of course the classic one of that is john f kennedy's assassination yeah Mm -hmm. yeah i actually was alive (laughs) when that happened but you're so old i was only about 18 months old so i don't remember where i was you'd have a great memory if you did but that is the uh the classic one now, I, Ben, I don't know if you had... Do you have any more, or can we talk about the one when... Uh, I do have a couple more, just okay, two okay. more, I'd say. I, that... Just to let the people know, that when I heard we were doing this segment, I told Ben there was one uh, looking back moment that we needed to talk about because of how absurd it actually is. But yes. I will let Ben continue on, and then we can talk about the one that I look forward to talking to, because trust me, it is absurd. So I will say for devoted look back fans, there wasn't that much in 1945 this year to talk about, so we don't need to go through that one. But and well, actually, no, I'll jump frog, I'll leapfrog right to this one. Is that the big reason why I wanted to have Joe on this episode, beyond his, um, you know, immeasurable memory, is the fact that I told him the other day that Tiny Tim was going to be in this week's look back. Now, before Joe tells us his Tiny Tim story. I need to ask Joey and Ben Watson, do you know who Tiny Tim was? No. No clue. No idea. Tiny Tim, he was a guy that had rather long hair. He played the ukulele, and he played the song um, Living, Dancing in the Sunshine, Living in the Sunshine. Do you know the first episode of SpongeBob? Where oh. he's where he's um cooking all the burgers for all the anchovies. Yes, that was Tiny Tim. I didn't know who he was, but I, I know of his work. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, so that's probably how he's known for most modern viewers. But yeah, and he um, fifty years ago, that summer he played the Clinton County Fair, and I'll read a little bit of the article. Amid the shrieks, howls, and whistles of a capacity crowd. Tiny Tim arrived at the Clinton County Fair Wednesday evening. Culminating a week of activities at the fairground, the long-haired, falsetto-voiced singer played to a throng that threatened to spill over the temporary barrier erected across the racetrack and busy sheriff deputies who kept the two curious at a distance from the star. Now, number one, I didn't realize this guy was Beatles level of fame where people were literally pouring over the barriers. But (laughs) Tiny Tim, well-known as a fan of baseball, I also didn't know that, was asked if he followed the Montreal Expos. And he said, the way Mr. Mouch is hustling that team, they might even get out of the cellar. It's amazing how Mr. Fairley has come through on Bob Bailey, who used to be on the Dodgers. He's really doing a great job. So some baseball commentary from Tiny Tim. That's great sports analysis. I I appreciate the Expos analysis. Yes. How do you know, Mr. Tim? Um, I don't. I wasn't around for that, but... We had a reporter here when I first started by the name of Tom Bergen. Some of our older listeners might remember him. He was an excellent reporter. He covered the county government and state and local government, and he went on to work for for Ottawa News Service, which owned us at the time in our Albany Bureau, and eventually went to work for Senator Ron Stafford, who everybody knows around here, as his uh, press guy. 
Um, Tom was telling me the story of it had to be in the late 70s, maybe early 80s. Tiny Tim was basically, by then, pretty much washed up. He had fleeting fame. I mean, they talk about the barriers and the crowds overflowing. That didn't last long. (laughs) I mean, when I was a little kid, I remember Tiny Tim. Tiptoe Through the Tulips that was his too? big song. Oh, yeah. okay. Um, a lot of people thought he was, just, he was kind of weird. But <laughs> he, was, he was well known. And apparently in the late 70s or early 80s, I don't know, he came to Plattsburgh to play another gig. And it was at Bluff Point Golf Club. Really? What? Um, I don't know where. If they had a stage set up somewhere. or Maybe, maybe more near the water area. I think it was inside uh, oh. somewhere. <laughs> and um, the, he had this, this this really obnoxious manager, as the story was told to me. And he kept bugging Tom, you're going to come cover it. You're going to come cover it. We need coverage. Come on, I'll buy you drinks. I'll buy you drinks. <laughs> and Bergen's like, yeah, 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 it's Tiny Tim, big deal. I, whatever. So he went up there, and the guy, I guess, plied Bergen with all the booze and food he wanted. <laughs> And gave him the royal treatment. And Bergen said Tiny Tim was absolutely brutal. Wow. And he panned him in the review. Really? <laughs> and no. he said the manager was so upset, she <laughs> called him, screamed at him, and yelled at him. After all the booze and food I gave you, you wrote that. <laughs> maybe, maybe they were trying to get him all the booze and whatnot. So when he actually wrote the when he wrote the story, he wouldn't have even known what would have happened. <laughs> oh, it was great! You got a great time. It didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, the, Tom said, "Yeah, he said he goes. It was it was a mess. It was terrible. And I wrote it that way. And they didn't like it." So that was my Tiny Tim story from the Press Republican days. That is, that's, that's a really funny story. The legacy of Tiny Tim. What Won't struck me was, it was at Bluff Point. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. I mean, the level of randomness to that yeah. is unbelievable. I was there at Tiny Tim at Bluff Point in 1975. I golfed 18 holes and then I went and saw Tiny Tim. <laughs> so then the last story that I wanted to tell was that... Uh, well, actually, I'll make a point. is the fact that I love um, prohibition stories because there's always stories about how the cops back in the 1920s were chasing people around the border, smuggling Canadian liquor in, like, their pickup trucks or, like, their boats or all that kind of thing. There was this one that found 13 bags full of gin on a tugboat coming in, and I'm like, what was that like back then? But the one that stands out for me from 1920 this year is the story of old Ben. So the third Ben in this. Oh, we have another Ben another on the ben podcast. Has another Ben okay. in the podcast. There was an air of sadness around the city of Plattsburgh yesterday due to the sudden death of old Ben, the veteran fire horse who dropped dead while being exercised at the corner of Beekman and Brinkerhoff streets. Oh, wow. Ben had been at the station for about 15 years and it was always in active service until the time the motor fire engine was installed a few years ago. The motor fire engine. <laughs> <laughs> During his service at the station, Ben never missed a fire until gasoline took the place of horses. Oh, wow. So to think there was a day when, if you were told to go out to a fire, you would go to the fire and you hear the horses <laughs> clomping yeah. up the street bringing the fire engine. And wow. since, but old cool. Ben. His, he had a happy ending. He um, led a rather quiet life after the 
um, motorized fire engine came on, and he was taken out for regular exercise for the remainder of the time, enjoying a well-earned rest. So we dedicate this podcast to good old Ben. Pour one out for old Ben. <laughs> back in the day. I just think it's crazy that, again, though it's a time in Plattsburgh where the fire horses <laughs> ran all around. That's uh, Plattsburgh's version of for Park, Parks and Rec fame. Yeah. Will, Will, Will Sebastian. <laughs> yes, Will Sebastian. Sorry, Sebastian. Got old, <laughs> old Ben. <laughs> old Ben. That's awesome. So then, yes, is that this was from last week, but I have it up here if Joey would like to read oh, sure. the story of another fellow from 1920. Yes, I, I read this. So what happens sometimes when we're putting pages together and whatnot is, especially if it's late at night, Ben will ask me, hey, can you read this, you know, just to make sure it's all, all set, and I'll, I'll, be, I'll say, yeah, sure. So I, as I was proofreading it, sometimes you know how you're proofreading something, and you're just reading it for grammar, pro- proper like spelling, that like type comma, of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when I was reading this, that's what I was basically doing, because it was late, mm-hmm. just wanted to make sure everything was crisp. And as I get to this story, <laughs> I, I, I step back, and I, I said to Bennett, I said, what, what is happening 100 years ago? So this is this is the uh, this is the story here. Um, Ed Reese proved his right to be called a chesty young man by allowing Seth Baker and seven other husky men to drive over him in an automobile which weighed four thousand three hundred pounds. To say nothing of its human freight, the feat was performed in front of the city hall and attracted a large crowd. Now, I just have to say. <laughs> What was happening a hundred years ago? That are, did people actually come out and watch a guy get driven Almost over with a car? Probably. I think those thirteen bags of gin might have had something. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to know who decides what qualifies you as a chesty young man. Yes, and 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 seven other. Hu- so we had a chesty man, a chesty and then we had seven other husky men yeah. going going over I going know over what the like. The qualifications are for each, and and this is the part that I don't understand, or I need some clarification on, and I don't know if there even can be. Why were there seven other men? Why did there need to be seven? Were there seven? Was it like a clown car? Were they all in the car just driving over him? Or I mean, I'm not I'm not sure exactly what was going on. Or did each guy, all, all seven of these husky men, get in the car and drive over him seven separate times? That's what I. That's what I need some clarification on. There's a lot to be interpreted from this. So we need to find a time machine for you, so you can go back and copy edit that and ask, I, ask the writer for more. The thing that I'm Joel. ashamed about is there's no photo. There's no photo. God <laughs> yes, damn. they that did. They didn't use their limited unashamed. 1920s camera to go and <laughs> take a photo. Four hundred. Four thousand three hundred pounds. Yes. A NASCAR stock car is only 3,500 pounds. That's what I... I mean, that's everything's what I, probably cast iron metal, and all yes. that back then. Like, there was a lot more metal in a car in the 1920s than... This reminds me of a story of my youth, if you want to hear it. <laughs> yes, please. If you can somehow draw a comparison from your youth to this story, I'm, I'm interested and concerned. Do you have a tale of how you became a chesty young man? <laughs> I, I can't. Well, I have a story that's similar. It, it doesn't have to be... It has to do with... Newspapering, okay. and stories in newspapers. Okay. When I was a kid, I was fascinated by the newspaper, and hence my career, I guess. Sure. I was about ten, and I read a story in the Rochester Democrat and Chronicle, where this man and his buddies were at a a bar down in a place near Charlotte, uh, down by the river in the city of Rochester, and it was late, 
or early in the morning, however you want to look at it. And they were on Lake Avenue, and this was all in the story. And he bet his friends that he could lay down in the middle of Lake Avenue for 10 minutes and nothing would happen to him. <laughs> and oh, he no. did, and he almost made it. Then a, a Lincoln Continental came by. <laughs> oh, my God. And ran over and... Are it you serious? didn't end well. Oh, my God. Wait. And you know what the bet was? I want to know. And this was a great detail that this reporter... Wait, was. Let's, let's guess. I'm going to guess alcohol. I'm... Beer. Mm, what about... This was 1972. Uh, did it have something to do with... It was monetary. Oh, it was mon... Oh, okay. Okay. What about... Was it like 10 bucks? You got the 10 right. Oh, 10,000? Nope. Ben Watson? 10. 10 cents? 10 cents. 10 cents? He's got 10 cents that he could lay down in Lake Avenue for 10 minutes and nothing would happen to him at 2 in the morning. Well, that was worth quite a bit back then. (laughs) It was a dime. He lost his life over a dime. I remember reading that story. As a kid, thinking, my goodness, the details. How did, they, how did they find this out? Obviously, it's good reporting. Yeah. You know? And it was I was amazed at what happened. This guy lost his life over a 10 cent bet. I, that's, wow. You really uh-huh. did actually draw a comparison <laughs> yeah. to that story. I, I think you have to survive it to be qualified as a chesty young man. Yeah, so no. so, think he... And after reading this and looking back, I said to, I said to Ben Rowe, I said, I couldn't believe. Well, first of all, I was in, I was still in shock about it, and then I told Ben, I said, "Look a couple days later, see if his obit ran or something." <laughs> uh-huh. Because I, I looked around, and I, as far as I can tell, Mister Reese survived his his chesty. Young I, I can't believe that. I mean, that's that's unbelievable. And my closing thought to loop this back to Ben Watson is the fact that if these, if Mister Reese and his friends were alive one hundred years later, you know that the, someone would take out a phone film this and put it on TikTok with the hashtag chesty young man challenge <laughs> and then it'll go viral. We can still start that trend. <laughs> My generation's not the smartest. We, we will leave that to the TikToker of the office. Yes, Ben Watson, do you want do you want to take that role as no, the, I, the TikTok I, person? I think I'll I'll pass on that. Okay. Right now. Okay. Maybe so, we'll give that to Joe. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> so that is our look back into the past. Yeah, I I'm really happy that I honestly I'm I'm super happy that you got to to read this past week. But I just wanted to talk about the Chesty Young Man one. That's that's the whole reason I had any interest in this episode. That was that was one thing that I was super interested about. But when we talk about once we got the podcast has started now. We're on episode three. We wanted to include a lot of different things about about the newspaper and and this is one of the coolest things i think is is that the newspaper is a hist- it's it's a time capsule and we showcase it every week we we really do and i think that's really cool and ben Rowe is the guy who types it out every week yes every tuesday look it up and shameless plug, I do my own sports looking back. Oh yes, on Saturday on Sat- for Saturday's newspapers, where Joe Latemplio makes it for his uh, stellar performances in the Champlain Valley Baseball League. Yeah, I have made it a couple times. It, yes, yeah, you're right. It is. It's a living history. Um, you know, it, it's vital to our community. Absolutely, that we always you know know what happened, remember what happened, and hopefully learn from it. Um, and and it, it is. It's interesting and fun. Um, so I'm glad we're able to do that. Yeah, I think so too. But guys, 
think we're I think we've reached the end of the episode. And uh, is there anything else we want to say this week, or are we just going to uh, sign off? No, like I said, we're happy to do this, and we look forward to uh, many more to come. Yeah, Ben, how'd you like your first appearance on the show? Uh, I was a little nervous, not gonna lie. But you were a little I think nervous. We got <laughs> I, th- <laughs> I think the best thing was we we what we told Ben five or ten minutes before we decided to record today. Ben, you're coming on. Yeah. So that was fun. That's was the best time. way to do it. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad. But Ben, are you happy that uh, other Ben? Now I should say, <laughs> are you happy that uh, are you happy that you got to do your looking back segment? I am. Kids, don't get run over by cars for a dime. <laughs> yes, for the love of God. Or don't get... for the right to be called a chesty young man, because yes. that's not worth it either. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. But on that note, I think we will say goodbye, and we will see you next week.